This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to Part of Us. Before we begin, follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at InvoCraze and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. If you've got comments or questions, let us hear them. Email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. And please remember to review and rate our podcast. It matters, it matters, it matters. All right, let's catch up with some trending news. We want to issue a correction. In episode two of this season, we speculated that the songs in An Invoke Christmas might have been produced by our producer, The Network. Our producer, Matthew, reached out to Foster McElroy, who confirmed that all the songs were actually produced by themselves. In addition, our last episode uh, played out to a remix of Emotions that our mysterious benefactor gifted us. It may not be available for purchase, so enjoy it here, folks, exclusively. And thanks again to our secret supporter. Thank you. Thank you. And this is near and dear to my heart. Variety has announced that Guy Ritchie, the auteur best known for Snatch, Aladdin, and comparing sex with Madonna to Cuddling Gristle, has been chosen to direct Disney's upcoming live-action remake, Hercules. As we all know, In Vogue was the inspiration for the 1997 animated classic Standout Muses. Do we think there's any chance he'll cast the Funky Divas as Calliope and the gang, or did his box office bomb starring Madge sweep away his interest in working with pop stars what say you do you think there's a chance that in vogue might get cast as the muses it ain't happening I, yeah i think we can let that go no. <laughs> in a just and fair world perhaps but that ain't how hollywood works unfortunately <laughs> yeah they're they're going to be looking for the names the stars i got money that Jen- well i was thinking jennifer hudson but now that she's got that show I think she might be a little busy being an EGOT and all, but <laughs> but um, I'm definitely feeling like Lizzo's going to be, you know, in the mix for that and some of the younger girls in the industry. Do you think they have the gospel chops to pull it off? I mean, I know like the, the most of the muses, uh, well, the voices, of, the singing voices of the muses in the film, the animated film, they were Broadway, but, you know, they have the gospel choirs. Lizzo... Can Lizzo sing gospel-esque? I think the studio's gonna make it work for them. <laughs> I think Lizzo, I think Lizzo has a nice voice. Have you listened to her um new album? No, I haven't. I have. I've listened to a little bit. She has a better voice than I think people maybe give her, but she's yeah. she gives a particular type of singing and it it ain't gospel. It's She'd be hollering a lot, but it's not <laughs> But she has a, she did the song special and she did it on SNL and she tried to do a little gospel squall. I was like, okay, I was here for it. <laughs> okay, well, my dreams are officially ended. So I guess we could go on to our topic of the week. All right, folks. So this is going to be a big discussion this week. Um, we're going to spend this episode answering a letter submitted to us by our listener, DT. It's a reasonably long letter, and DT touches on several interesting things. So it really uh, did need its own episode. 
And we're sure many of you will have your own opinion on what DT wrote. So please share it with us down in the comments um, or wherever you're listening. Send us a letter um, so we can read it on air. All right. So let's tackle this letter piece by piece. We're going to tag team this one and answer as we go, as opposed to reading it in its entirety first. So DT writes, hey, folks, congrats on the new season. Loving the content and the discussions. You You mentioned at the end of the last season, the possibility of having some of your listeners chime in on the podcast. Happy to participate. (laughs) I know a couple of you were maybe a bit thrown by my defense of Dawn last season. I certainly did not mean to come off uh, too pro Dawn or anti Terry, although I can see now that I was a bit rough on Terry. Yes, you were. I think it's because... I think it's because there is no way to defend Dawn without calling Terry out on some things. But overall, y'all have to admit, so far in the show, Dawn's take on things is clearly the least favored by this podcast, which is okay. (laughs) It's all in good fun. I think there will be, I think there will forever be different opinions and different angles to look at how the original four broke up and why. I know you all are more accepting of Invoke after the original four. I have to admit, I am not. When Dawn left, I was done, I was 50% done with Invoke. And when Max left, 40% more of, of Invoke interest left me. Since then, I've barely. Wait a second. Uh, Hold it right on. there. So this letter, this long letter <laughs> is only at 10%. My God. Only this at 10%. Is 10%. These long pages are at 10%. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Has had it. Um, I know I need to get over it, but understand that I'm a bit older, mid-40s, so I was a high schooler at the height of Invoke's fame as it was happening. I lived through the original four when they were on top of the world. I will never view Invoke as anything but the original four. After that, the remaining replacement members are like fill-ins, literally work for higher members. I don't say that to be yes, rude. Yes, you do. They really are. As much as, you all you, like, <laughs> as much as you all like Rona, she was a salaried employee of Invoke, just like the pianist and drummer and road manager. Even though Invoke was created by people other than Invoke, sorry about it. Um, she has no stock in the group. Just so you know, since I know you all are Rona fans, is that right of Cindy and Terry? What do you think? Okay, good. We, we can take a moment to kind of digest all of that, and that's only <laughs> that's only the intro. Um, I'll just hop that's, in. That's... Oh, go ahead, JP. No, go ahead. No, I just find it so interesting that this conversation, like, of about, you know, Rona or any other replacement being a salaried member of Invoke, it's, a, it's such an interesting um, take because I think I mentioned to you guys, I've kind of went down the Supremes rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and if you think that how the Invoke fans bicker about, you know, Dawn or Max or whoever versus whoever, like, the Supremes fans... Whole other and, level... It is a whole other level, like the Mary Wilson versus the uh, the Diana Ross fans versus the Gene Terrell, and, and, like all all of that. But essentially, when um, when Diana left the group and Gene Terrell left the group, Mary Wilson took over, and essentially all the other Supremes were were salaried employees, including Cindy Birdsong and um, every other member after that. As some of the fans have, it's such a point of contention because some fans feel like, oh, how dare Mary do that? And some of the fans feel like it makes perfect sense. For me, I mean, I think it just makes perfect sense as a founding member. That's, that's your thing. And so anyone else that comes in, um, I mean, yeah, I think they should essentially be a salaried employee. 
Um, so I think Cindy and Terry are perfectly right if that's how they're doing it. I mean, I don't, I haven't heard them say anything about how Rona is paid or what that looks like, but you know what? I haven't either. But DT said it like he knows. <laughs> Do you know DT? He needs some receipts. Right. Need some receipts. Re- can you share those with us, DT? Or is this something that you're just assuming? Hmm, I wonder. I just don't, I don't think that. Rona would be there that long if she was not being compensated properly. Um, I also think it's interesting to call. I, I sort of was joking, but I kind of mean I'm a little serious about it. Like it would be really different if it was like uh, like the Supremes. Right. I'm pretty sure the origin story of the Supremes was that they knew they knew each other. Yes, they were right? friends. And then they they all did in. the same projects. Right. They the were booster friends. Projects. Right. So like this is different in that they were all employees for hire if we're being honest like it's just about who owns the name now and who gets to call the shots now but for the longest time these the ladies were all also employees thank you i'm gonna shut up in a second but like i think it's really important to note that like with the supremes there are moments post Diana and in various iterations of the group that are to be appreciated. And I just feel like sometimes we have to know that um, we have to know that a a group can evolve over time and new fans can jump in and out and appreciate a a lineup and it's whatever iteration it's in. We don't have to always hold on to the, to the original because low key, like when group members leave, what am I expected to do? Go back and work at the AMP? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm going to keep this machine going and figure out how to make it work. And so I appreciate the fact that the ladies kept it going and said, okay, this next era with this, with this composition of the group is going to give this particular kind of thing. So like, we just have to give grace, I think, and sort of say like, this is livelihood, but it's also like, fans can hop on and off exactly <laughs> just like members do i remember when the uh the what is it the cure was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and there's only been one long-standing member who's the lead singer the main creative you probably write all of the all of the lyrics anyway um because it's a band but robert smith and he said you know Anybody can come and go as they leave, basically. And um, when I think about In Vogue, I think of legacy. I think they still have a lot of potential, even with, you know, them being up in age. So I'm happy they kept it going. At the same time, though, even in groups where everyone is original, where everyone is sibling, sometimes there's always going to be the leader. There's always going to be the people calling the shots. And so... You look at a group like the Eagles, it was Glenn Fry. He was always the head. And, you know, when the people that were there from the beginning, regardless, he was still, he was the leader. Kiss, Gene Simmons is the leader. There were original members who, you know, they don't get any of the merchandising. Um, he's getting a lot of that. And then I think Paul Stanley, because, you know, they're besties. You think about the uh, the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. I forget the, the other band member's name, but he was like, you know, a lot of those songs I wrote, but they had like this, you know, this, this partnership. So, you know, when I was coming up with baselines, I wasn't getting writer's credit. So even with everybody being on equal footing, uh, as far as starting at the same time, there's always going to be, it just seems to me like it's never actually going to be equal. So if you're coming in as someone who, you know, years later after like the peak, I don't expect her to, you know, to be on the same footing financially, um, 
as you know the uh, two founding members that just wouldn't be realistic um so i like i don't think you expect someone to come into a group and say oh look you know i, I know you, you, we've been around all these years but we're gonna make give you 33 percent you know because that's equal however your point about her being like, like no different from a drummer or a road manager like that <laughs> that's ridiculous uh <laughs> You, a drummer or a road manager is not going to be on the merchandise. Like the fans aren't screaming for them on stage. They're not doing interviews. They're not in that process. So I just think, you know, you, you're taking it a little bit too far, but I'm pacing myself because like I said, this is a long <laughs> letter. So that's what I'll say. But, <laughs> regarding the but let me just say this. Let me say this though. Like I, I understand like, I understand where D, what DT is saying. Like, I'm not in my mid forties, but I definitely was like outside during, you know, the peak in Vogue. Like, it, that original four is just a special thing. So for me, I've tried to definitely, I try my best to be open to what's around, but I can understand his sentiment. But one thing I, I, I did want to ask you guys is that, um, being that Rona, you know, has, you know, she came along in what, 04? O three, I guess, or three oh four. Um, do you guys think that if they had added another member right after Don left, instead of trying to go on as a trio, if they had just went ahead and kind of filled that spot then with someone, um, do you think and that and that new member had an opportunity to be a part of their actual mainstream success in some ways? Um, do you think that person would have been um, a little bit more welcomed universally because like if you talk about the Supremes for example like when Gene Terrell took over they still had top 10 pop hits like they were still a relevant you know mm-hmm. commercially successful group for a, a few years but with but with Rona you know she she hasn't had any type of real commercial success with in vogue so i think it's hard for people to really take her seriously as a member of in vogue when you think about the in vogue legacy you think about their big moments you think about them being signed to a major label you think about you know the the eras that are you know most popular and she's not a part of any of those i think that's where the disconnect comes in sure she's been in the group technically longer than Don or Maxine, but she doesn't have the moments. You know what I'm saying? I think that's kind of where the that disconnect comes in. But and so as a, but do you a, think I, well okay to answer that question as like a fan, like who's a fan and wants the, to see the legacy continue, that makes me appreciate her even more because she can't like the wheels had fallen off or, you know, they mm-hmm. were trying desperately to keep them on. Like the car stalled in the middle of the freeway. The engine is smoking, you know, <laughs> and she's coming. She came and allowed them to continue driving. I think that's much more difficult to do than to come in into like an established situation. Like from what my understanding of the Supremes um, and like, even with, you know, up the ladder to the roof and what is it, Stone Love and anything else that might have been after that. Like when people talk about the Supreme, mm-hmm. they're still they're not talking about Gene Tarot. Oh, they're talking course. about of you course. know Of course. It's right, Diana Ross, of peaks, course. But, but yeah. so they kind of they'll discount and and like I said, like when you started talking about bad weather and the other person and we're like, who was Because like I know a little bit I didn't realize there were that many and there were so many changes and I don't even think I knew that Yeah. Well at that point at that point they were pretty much LA they were irrelevant by that point. They couldn't get a by that oh, point okay. but yeah but i mean <laughs> no, yeah 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 to say um, like um like with in vogue 
Ron has been there like 10 years. It's, I think she helps a lot with the consistency of the group. Um, I mean, 10 years consecutively since like, you know, things really transpired badly. So, uh, it's mm-hmm. just like with, you know, Charlie's Angels where, you know, people always think of Farrah and, uh, I want to say Sabrina, but it's actually Kate Jackson and, uh, the Houston Kelly Garrett, but this uh, Jacqueline Smith, like they're always going to think about those three. Like those are going to be the ones they always talk about. No matter that Cheryl Ladd mm-hmm. was on more seasons and the seasons might've, you know, like the ratings didn't just die, but it's just that iconic image, but give it up for the other ladies that kept the legacy going. If you're a fan, like if you're a diehard fan. So I get the general mm-hmm. public and I get that, you know, like if you're going to just be singing old songs, you know, that other people did mm-hmm. like, you know, people that'll make people want the original, like if you're a nostalgia act, people want, the nostalgia right. that they remember. So I get all of that, but like as a diehard for her contributions to keep the legacy going and then just being such a, like a phenomenal singer, I don't agree with that assessment. Their success is limited, but there is, you know, they're able to still tour. They are, they have like a couple of more dates at recording time of like a pretty big tour that a lot of people have gone to. So that says something and she's helping them keep that, but before we get back to the letter, do y'all think though, if if someone if if Rona had came in back in ninety eight or ninety seven when Don left, um, do you think their reception would be different? Do you think it would be like No. No? Like I well, I think so if you think about I don't know, like the Supremes are like the the gap between girl groups from the Supremes eras and like the nineties is like significant enough that I feel like when I think about the nineties, even into the early two thousands and girl groups, I feel like when I, like I think about the spice girls, when ginger left, I think about, um, like, like this is not a member leaving, but I think about when we lost left eye and I think about like destiny's child, even destiny's child. And there, I realized that, that Destiny's Child worked because they were still new-ish to mm-hmm. a pop landscape. And so they could still be kind of morphing and figuring it out. The Spice Girls were kind of global peak phenomenon and then their member left. And so repl- they never, I don't think they ever considered replacing because how do you sort of like introduce that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then TLC, remember when they had that reality show, they tried to sort of kind of bring in a member, sort of kind of, oh so crispy and the fans <laughs> went off because like you just don't do that because of how established they were. And I feel like, um, in vogue at the time number one it was a time crunch right like i feel like they had to keep they had to keep the train moving asap but then i think they also were so well established and and each you you had your fave you knew the girls so you couldn't sort of drop a new girl in without um without it kind of causing a ruckus and Mm -hmm. so uh, i think it would have been a problem however i will give another example i really i recently started listening to the sugar babes out of like Mm -hmm. the uk and i think it's interesting because by the end of the sugar babes like run they started as three girls after their first album one of the girls left then they carried on with a new girl for like a number of albums and then eventually the original members started leaving and so by the end of the era of the of their run the sugar babes was none of the original members Mm. and they were still at one point putting out reasonably successful hits Mm -hmm. and so i kind of wish based off of matan's charlie's angels reference that we thought about girl groups that way where it's like 
if you could, I, I kind of love the idea of a girl group lasting decades, but there's just new versions <laughs> of the girl group and you just sort of I don't like enjoy. <laughs> I'm just like, if we got to always reclaim the magic, then like we'll always be disappointed because once the, once the original lineup is gone, it's just, it, and plus last note is just like, I, I don't like looking at a, an original lineup where I know that the girls don't want to be there or the people don't want right. to be there. Sometimes these reunions happen and these people stick it out for the coins, but you can tell they don't like each other. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't, I don't ever want to see that for groups I love. So I think Rona deserves to have came in when she came in. And I think it works out exactly how it's supposed to work out. They, it would have been a hot mess if they tried to drop Rona or anybody else. I co-signed in that. I, know. Right I, I just, I don't, I, I never thought about it before now, but if they had added someone back then, I just wonder if they, if it would have had that kind of Destiny's Child effect. Like when they bought in the two new members and then the other girl left out, like that really catapulted them to a whole other level it was just drama yes, and, and it i did. think we had been used we had really been used to seeing girl groups try and fake play nice you know we talked about offline we talked about the, the niceties being ladylike i think for so often um so many different groups had tried to you know keep everything on the up and up and try to you know be very pr focused and that drama really took Destiny's Child to international superstardom. Like, yeah, Say My Name was a hit, um, but that was after, the, you know, the first two girls left. And then with that independent women and Survivor, like, it just went to a whole other level because of that chaos. So I'm just, I just, two I'm different curious. Groups. It was also... It was also such a joke for right. so long, yeah. though, right? It, like, that and y'all remember the Mad skit. TV sketches? It's a joke and- that... That took them to the next level, though. And if we're being <laughs> honest, though, I don't think that you can eat like and I love all of I love every single member of Destiny's Child for various reasons and contributions to the group. But like Michelle has never been valued as an actual member of Destiny's Child, in my opinion, unless you really, really, really F with Destiny's Child. But like to the to the masses, Michelle's always been the replacement and she's the butt of the joke half the time. And I just feel like that's all kind of rooted in like we don't need to like it's Kelly. It's always been Kelly, uh, Kelly, and Beyonce yeah. as the original members, Michelle and anybody else there. coming in is like you know, kind of at the butt of the joke eternally. But I think that has more to do with Michelle just not being that girl. Like no, she- <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole well, other podcast, no. a whole other story. Uh, to, to defend Michelle, when Michelle came into Destiny's Child as writings on the wall, they Destiny's Child wasn't giving the eight counts that they were expected to give. Right. I lose my breath, so they had to morph into a pop. group group and michelle signed on for an r&b girl group and so i think that that was the the, the disconnect right. but yeah, yeah you're right that's another podcast that's another podcast another, another discussion because we'll be here another uh, 30 minutes talking about that but all right let's get back to this letter <laughs> the letter picks back up here this time around instead of spewing off my perspective on the demise of the original four i would like to pose some carefully worded questions to <laughs> to you all and see if you all uh, discussing these questions will invite further or different perspectives on why the original four did not stay together. Here it goes. Number one. Were you okay with Terry's decision to go solo in 95 after Funky Divas and Runaway Love without telling the rest of the members or even if she told the members were you okay with that decision why or why not? Remember she went solo first. Dawn tried to go solo second in 96-97 after Terry went Solo, And I'll just say this. I think when you look at the brand, when you look at 
you know, the overall brand of a group, when you do something that doesn't really match the brand, I personally feel like it tarnishes the brand. And when I think about Southern Gal, I personally feel like it tarnished, I feel like it, it, it took them down a few notches. Like this is one of your, this is like the powerhouse singer of your group. She's coming out singing some real Southern country sounding um, like it was just so off brand. You know what I'm saying? Um, so for me, like, I think, um, they should have sat down and just waited for Cindy to pop out that baby. They should have been in the studio while she was pregnant. So as soon as she snapped back, they can come out. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I share your sentiments regarding the record. I don't know why Sylvia allowed that um, because there's this interesting interview with Denzel Foster where he's explaining like during Funky Divas, she was trying to stop it. And, you know, so she had called up Teddy Riley. She had called up Jimmy and Terry. She had called up. Who's the other one that's always mentioned with Jimmy, Terry, Teddy Riley? Who was around that time? Well, I forget. Maybe it was the, definitely those um, production teams and was like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it was Babyface and L.A. Reid. But she just was not feeling funky divas. Now, people mm-hmm. can say whatever. I understand why as a record executive for someone who, you know, for uh, for an act that was very successful on the R&B charts the first time. Hold on, was huge. It was an R&B thing. And then they're doing all these other things. Her thing is like, is radio going to play this? So of course she's not going to like for your mind. Not that she, yeah, but anyway, mm-hmm. I say all that to say, I really wish they would have tried. To, she would have, you know, been like, Denny, Tommy, you cannot produce every track on this record. And I know something for the people right. did. I don't want to wait till tomorrow, but that's, you know, like I, Tommy and Denny, like that's their proteges, basically. Like it's all Bay Area people, and they're kind of like the Godfather. So, like, okay, well, we'll let you produce a track for our girls, but it's through them. Like, I really wish Sylvia would have been like, no, Terry, you got it. Dave Jam Hall, or who else was making music? But whoever, like, go to Europe, work anybody. But, um, Regarding though, so I, I share your sentiment regarding that. Um, I don't necessarily think it tarnished the brand. It like came and went, you know, it came and went and then they had their biggest hit. So I don't think it necessarily, to me, it didn't tarnish the brand. It was, it unfortunately it tarnished her career because then, you know, the, the next hiatus, um, when Cindy was talking out her other two children, Terry singing backup, like there's no option for, a solo record because (laughs) anyway um, just because of I'll just say because of the lack of success of Southern Gal but I do not believe that she did not tell the members I think that's something that Don has made up um because magazine thing background on I don't mind her you know I I just I can't see her not telling the group I think they were all aware of that and regard like to what you said about popping out babies and things like that like what was she supposed to do like while you have two members that were um you know pregnant like I definitely wouldn't want my band member I think to me it looks worse when you have someone taking backup and you're in a superstar group that's punishing the brand because it's like what's going on so I'd rather her be able to make, you know, since she's not an actress, like Cindy was an actress, you know, it would have been great if she could have done like a long running play on Broadway or something, but her, she's a singer. She's an R&B singer. She has to make money. She has expenses. So allowing them time off, they can't be mad at her for 
working and doing what she does. So no, I don't think, um, uh, I, I don't agree with you that she didn't tell the rest of the members. Cause like I said, Maxine is on that record and I'm okay with her decision to record. That's how she makes her money. What is she, what was she supposed to do? Yeah. Well, I think- I'm pretty much in the same camp. Like I, I just feel like I, I actually don't mind the idea of going solo. I think sometimes it's cool to like, I think there was like an experiment, like to see how people might react to, cause like it's, it's business, right? So if a group is powerful, at one point you're going to want to sort of test the sum of the parts and see like, well, if I send this one out, is it going to be successful? Cause that might mean more money. That may mean more opportunity. And if it hits, then the group is even more powerful when they come back. So I get like the idea of like exploring it. So I don't mind that it was explored. I just think it was out of order. Like I just wish that it had happened um, after another like project from the group as opposed to when it happened. Cause yeah, I think like it, it didn't set the girls up individually for success because when one flops, then the rest exactly. of them all kind of get lose their opportunities more or less because it doesn't make sense to give every girl a deal. So it just felt, it felt like they could have done one more full album cycle before they said, okay, maybe we're going to take a pause and maybe we're going to do something else or whatever. And then, um, and then at that point, if they all had their opportunities to go do something solo in some way, shape or form, if it, if it didn't work, then maybe the nostalgia of, for the group would have been powerful enough for them to come back and sort of make it work again. So it just felt like it was all out of order. I don't really care what Dawn thinks or whoever <laughs> thinks about who said what or who, told who because at this point i don't remember what i did last week so i don't trust anybody <laughs> to remember what happened the way that it happened uh decades ago so uh that's tired but in terms of like when it should have happened i absolutely think that like it's cool but it should have just happened differently in, in a different order i think we also have to point out though just because a group takes a one or two year hiatus it doesn't mean you should be hanging in the child line um, not being able to pay your bills. So I think that uh, there's a whole other issue about the fact that they were so broke that, you know, they were all looking for an outlet to make some money, uh, which to me says we need to renegotiate. But that's a whole nother conversation. Right, but they were in right. the renegotiations. That's why there was no music. I feel like I always heard Dawn say they did they didn't find out initially that she was recording. Of course she had to tell them at some point, but I think the issue was like I guess they didn't know, like, hey girl, I just got this solo deal, so I'm going into the studio tomorrow to record this album versus like, you know, it's a month in and like, oh yeah, I'm recording. But so, it's like you know. it's giving Danity it's giving Danity Kane like Dawn when she was doing her side stuff. Yeah. And the girls yeah. were like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> and I think I don't know, I just I feel like if I were in a group and you're going solo, I would wanna know the minute you made the decision. I don't wanna know next week. I don't wanna know three days later. Like if you about to sign this contract as a group member, I personally would at least wanna know, like, listen, bitch, like <laughs> I'm signing, the bills are due. This is what it is. This is the courtesy call, but ain't in the girl group. So I just, I don't just like some people have a victim complex and it's like, you know, like, and I, who can I give an example of? Cause I, the person I just thought of, I don't want to use as an example. Um, but I would just say like, you know, people can see things like it could be 10 people and one person is just so offended by something. 
I don't think it was ever that deep um, because like why would Magazine be doing backing vocals on the record if it was just like this big point of contention? Like I think at least Cindy and Magazine in the way they understood and like that gives them space to not be in a rush to be, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I feel bad that my band members aren't able to, um, you know, tour or anything because I'm at home with my child. That's kind of alleviating that stress knowing that, okay, you know, my girl's out in the world doing her thing. Uh, so when exactly she was told or when exactly they were told, uh, I don't, I, of course I can't say, I'm sure they probably wouldn't even remember cause they get the years more messed up than we do. They'd be like, Oh yeah, she recorded her album in 2000. <laughs> um, but I don't ever think it's that deep to anybody, but Don, like, but with Don, as we'll probably get into later, everything is a point of contention and everything somehow she felt betrayed and someone should have did something differently. Um, so that's, but that's it for me on this uh in this segment of the letter <laughs> so th- the next question is this will be an interesting one so um i'm gonna read the question and then i'm gonna sort of let dt do some um offer some thoughts <laughs> too before we jump in so uh the question being do you believe the original four members would have had a fighting chance to renegotiate their contracts with Electra, sylvia roan after funky divas and runaway love if terry had joined forces with the girls as part of a renegotiation process with Electra, um dt says i have to throw in my two cents from two the last cents. discussion that touched on this <laughs> <laughs> Dawn did not say the plan of attack from the start was to breach a contract with Sylvia Roan, Sylvia Roan, Electra, go to another label and risk getting sued. This is certainly an option depending on whatever is on the table with the new label prospects and potential deals. But the initial plan was to do what all artists do. Go back to your label, in this case, Electra, renegotiate terms. This was particularly a good idea because stock and in vogue in 1994-95 is much higher than in 89. How about Electra agreeing to increase in Vogue's royalties from two cents to 20 cents a record? Maybe give the girls some greater uh, co-production, vocal arranger, publishing credits, upfront signing bonuses. Maybe the label writes off more of the production or promotion costs than the girls are responsible for. All kinds of ways to reach a middle ground to keep your talent happy. As a foursome, the girls had leverage to have those renegotiations, especially right after selling 15 million records. Terry chose not to join her girls in that process. While conveniently and secretly working on a solo project that's conjecture uh anyway um you all really have no negative impression of these actions by terry at that time and we're talking 1995 so there's nothing you can blame on dawn at this point trying to lead the witness objection leading the witness (laughs) did you not hear anything i said in that episode because i know yeah i think he's taking what you said as a fact because don definitely when she talked about it that's the interview i was trying to find this was before she did all of the instagram live so this was this was before the pandemic it might be 2015 or something but she talked about and i remember she said it was herself maxine and cindy they were at LaFace and they were ready to yeah. sign but it wasn't like a we're prospect it was like we're ready to sign they had a lawyer go over the contract they were like you're indemnified and she was upset with cindy because cindy did not want to sign it because th- I mean, they weren't obviously indemnified because there was a chance that the the electorate could sue 
um, the ladies and so that could and that it could affect her husband's pension and that's why Cindy didn't sign and Donna was very upset with that so it wasn't just like oh yeah we're, we're looking and we're going to bring back offers and show them to Electra like you um, you know you pointed out that that could have been what was happening she seemed very upset that Cindy was afraid that there could be litigation that could affect her husband's pension and that she did not sign that she was upset because she was saying it was something like 16 million on the table there was a deal on the table with the face for oh gosh I think it was $9 million. It was fully indemnified, which means to fully be protected all the way around 100%. That if anything should happen and the label comes to us, Sylvia Rome comes to us and says she wants to sue us, that she would not be able to because we were fully protected. Our deal was null and void. It was it's such a horrible deal that in any court of law, I even went out and I hired the uh, the uh, attorney, Donald Hassan, who if anybody in the inside or any independent artist knows the book called All You Need to Know About the Music Business, he wrote that book. And I'm thinking, wow. okay, he's going to explain to the girls where they understand it, and they're going to get it, and they're going to understand it perfectly well that we will not get sued by Sylvia Rohn. We are so fully protected that there's nothing she can do to hurt us. There's no harm to come to Invoke. We are okay, and everything's fine. And it, and when he told them that on the phone, we did a conference call, and he told them, yes, you guys, you're perfectly okay. There's nothing Sylvia can do. She can't sue you. The girls still decided, okay, and Cindy, this is more Cindy than the rest of us because she felt like her husband would be sued as well. If we were to take that deal and something happened, and, and there was a, he said there's a 1% chance that you can be sued. But there's a 99% chance that you won't be sued. And Cindy looked at the 1% chance and said, I don't want to take that chance. Um, so it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we're going to... It was like, no, we're... And I think... Um, what Terry knew, because I remember you also pointed us to this interview um, that Terry did where she kind of discussed that how she didn't want to go to other labels. But um, what I will say, though, DT, because um, there I don't even because the question, but then you went into all this other stuff. Um, I'll answer your question directly. Then I'll let the other gentlemen have it. Do you believe the original four members would have had a fighting chance to renegotiate their contracts with electorates? Well, hold on, Matan. Let me let me finish. Let me finish what DT said because I think some of that might some of that might end up coming out and be responded okay. to by what, what I think okay. where I think you're going. Um, so uh, DT finishes up by saying, like, not sure why some of the panelists are believing that Dawn wanted to blindly breach the deal with Electra and just go to another label. She never said that. She said they should go see what's out there, collect some offers with other labels and go back to Electra and negotiate as a foursome and then go from there. There's nothing shady or controversial about talking to other labels. Happens all the time. Artists like the rest of us are always thinking about a better financial opportunity at every juncture, or at least they should be, even when they're ready, um, already under a contract with a label. Most of the time, renegotiations are successful with no news coverage or fanfare. That happens all the time in the industry, music and TV. Examples being the cast of Friends, Modern Family, TLC, Prince, Larry Hagman, Esther Rowe, Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. He said with no coverage or fanfare and then named some of the most public. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a huge act of rebellion to renegotiate after you sell 10 million records or your TV show goes number one. White artists do it all the time after they sell a million records records i'm just saying no talent is going to keep their same slave contract quote unquote after they blow up even back in the mid 90s most record companies will renegotiate and pay something more than what's laid out in the original dinosaur deal customarily given to brand new artists those slave deals are never meant to last past one maybe two albums at best if the artist is successful i will never understand why terry is not under fire for not joining the girls uh at this moment in time now matan go in (laughs) 
<laughs> well, she's on the fire with me, but go okay, on. Okay, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> definitely let you have it. Let me just say my little piece. I'm going to answer your question specifically. Um, okay, and let me just read it again because this is what I'm answering because there was a lot of other stuff that you threw. You're throwing everything with the kitchen sink. But to answer your question directly, do you believe the original four members would have had a fighting chance to renegotiate their contracts with Electra Sylvia Rowan after Funky Divas Runaway Love if Terry had joined forces with the girls as part of a renegotiation process with Electra? This is what I know based on what Don has said in her interviews and what, you know, was industry talk at the time. The girls did renegotiate their contract. I think that's what people failed to um, realize. They did renegotiate their contract. What happened was right, one, one of the, 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 uh, well, I would just say the impetus behind them renegotiating was the person who signed them to Too Tough Enough Productions left. So they got out of their contract with Too Tough Enough Productions and were able to sign directly with the label. But that's when renegotiations began because obviously, you know, they had demands and they had things of that nature. And so there's multiple interviews where... Cindy is saying, you know, we didn't expect renegotiations to take as long as they did. But then, you know, I got married and pregnant and Maxine was like, then I got pregnant. So all of this is happening during the renegotiation process. And one of the Instagram lives that Don did, and I wish, you know, I mean, they were hours long. There's so many of them, but I wish there were certain key points that I wish I could have, you know, just downloaded the video, then took it to some kind of snipping app and just save those clips. But she mentioned that the other girls did, you know, um, renegotiate their contracts and she specifically pointed out Terry and she was like yeah she probably you know got even more because she did a solo record so they did renegotiate their contracts I don't know why people don't why they think they didn't renegotiate their their uh their contracts and even if you don't believe that they did or if you don't believe me I'm just saying like they were signed to too tough enough then they weren't they signed directly with Electra so that's already in renegotiation phase and I know people always try to bring up the Terry Denny connection but she that she did she was along with them when they got from up under um, Too Tough Enough Productions. So that's what I have to say. Are you are you saying they've renegotiated separately? Well, that's what Don kind of implied that they renegotiated separately. And remember her, she, I guess, had the opportunity to renegotiate her contract because their contracts had solo rights in them, maybe like the initial contracts that they signed. And we, I mean, this is, you know, it's canon now that she renegotiated her contract to just um, give her to, you know, for them to get up to, for Electra to give up her solo rights so that she could get a solo deal elsewhere, but no other parts of the, of her, uh, of her deal that she renegotiated. She just was like releasing me from my solo rights, which is a renegotiation because now that's no longer in your contract. But, um, in the Instagram live video, yeah, she talked about like, you know, 1997 and the renegotiation and, um, how she doesn't get royalties and how the other girls renegotiated. She specifically mentioned Terry and was like, yeah, she probably got more, um, because she did a solo record even which is interesting because we all know how southern girl did but i mean it did over a hundred thousand which you know during the the 90s like that's very little but people still got to some people were able to do second albums just selling a hundred thousand if there was enough buzz Mm -hmm. but then on the opposite side like you have people selling 15 million records you have the bodyguard soundtrack you have metallica you had all these people selling eight million like these bands so a hundred thousand you know is not good but depending on who you are you might be able to you know go back in the studio yeah i just think that the biggest problem so to answer the question do i believe the original four members would have had a fighting chance to renegotiate the contracts 
had Terry join forces or whatever. I think the the key element to this is like if you are a group and you want to renegotiate a contract, you want to renegotiate as mm-hmm. a group. You are stronger together. You know what I mean? So if you are a four person group, I think the the key idea is I mean you can't renegotiate successfully, you know, in any meaningful way without everyone being involved and everyone kind of being on the same page. And it just seems like when it came to business, the ladies just were never on the same page at the same time, um, which is quite unfortunate. Um, his other question was, why is Terry not under fire for not joining the girls? She at the, is. You know, I at don't know who. Uh, why do, don't we have under fire? We must mean because a lot of people, they, I'm seeing the comments online. They're blaming Terry for a lot of things. They share his sentiment. Yeah, I mean. I think that whenever you're sleeping with the producer or have a relationship with the producer, can we use know, that instead of the other way? Like that's you know, <laughs> come on, she deserves. Let's it. call it what it is. It's been put out there. It's been put out there by Dawn. Okay, but wait, just just I, just just for housekeeping. So, like, if you're having a, a long term relationship with someone, would you want someone else describing it? Oh yeah, they're, they're you know they're just bumping I mean? and grinding. The, the, I don't mean it as a, in this. I don't really even mean it in a salacious. Whenever you're having when you have a personal relationship outside of business with, you know, a producer of the group, your interests are not 100% about the group. Like anyone that I'm spending intimate time with, you know, that person is automatically going to get a, something different than, you know, uh, someone I may be doing business with mm-hmm. because I, I'm more involved in a different type of way. We got pillow talk. We got intimacy. We got, a, you know, a different type of thing going on. So I think that already puts um the group in a very precarious situation. I don't um, because they... I. She Don never expressed any concerns with them getting from too tough enough productions. You have to remember Tommy and Denny are not Electra. Electra is Sylvia Rome. So when it came time to leave Tommy and Denny, they all did. She didn't say Terry put up a fight. They all left. What Terry, like the interview that you told us to listen to, Terry is saying, and Terry, you have to remember, Terry's probably the only one who had a record deal. Um, before in Vogue, I know Cindy did a lot of acting. I don't know if she ever had a record deal. Don, as a like a teen or something, she recorded. Um, you know, she was recording songs with a producer or something. And I know Maxine had a band, but I don't know that any of them were signed to deals before. And Terry, remember, was with Kashif. And Terry always, when she talks about it, she's like, "I really didn't like that experience." So she probably knows like how difficult it is to get out of a contract and know what's realistic in the industry. Where, um, and so I don't think that you know renegotiations. That's one thing, but then also trying to get other deals. Like she probably knew things, you know, that they didn't know and was like, okay, you know, that's not going to work because she had experience with the music industry and getting out of a contract before. Um, so that's why I don't think that when people are always bringing up like, you know, personal relationships, she left too tough enough with the rest of them. She left. Then Sylvia Roan became the dragon that they had to slay. And I don't even like saying it like that because it's like, I, you know, it, I don't think, you know, people always have to be at odds and have conflict. But I'm just saying, like, Electra is not, is no longer Tommy Denny. They're no longer signed to Too Tough Enough. I think, like, at the end of the day, like, we, we don't we don't know the mm-hmm. truth, right? So I think we have to, like, reconcile that, that we will never get the answers like that unless somebody has a recording. <laughs> and if you have a recording of any of these conversations, then you should drop those in the inbox. Part of us, evf at gmail.com. Um, but... What is clear and abundant here is that, like, 
in the midst of all of this, there were lots of different dynamics happening. There were lots of different desires and ideas for the future. And when the when there are cracks like that in the foundation, I feel like it's just sort of it's it's going to go from there. And so with solo ambitions and whoever was uh, in relationship with whomever, it just was getting way too complicated. And there were just lots of different like ideas going on that took away from what should have been at the end of the day, a united front regardless between the four ladies. And so like that's just kind of what it is. And we just going to have to get used to the fact that that's how it, that's how it played out. And that there's all these shoulda, coulda, wouldas won't, <laughs> won't change anything at this point. Right. The shoulda, coulda, wouldas are fun to talk about. That though. is true too. <laughs> they are, but they are frustrating. Cause at the end of the video, we're that like, is true. <laughs> at the end of it, we're like, Oh my God, we, we still got the same thing. We still got the same result. I just can't see anything happening uh, differently. And like the examples, DT, that you used, um, friends, modern family, TLC, well, TLC, I mean, might be somewhat comparable, but like Prince can tour. So when he's renegotiating a contract, like he's a big touring act and Vogue was a big touring act at the time, but you have two members who are mothers now so what are the other two supposed to do so it's kind of like you have leverage but you're not making income so then that's putting you in a at a disadvantage larry hagman i of course i know him from i dream of genie um and dynasty so i don't particularly know what you're talking about renegotiations and esther esther roll now i could just see her dropping that dish uh when uh, anyway um esther roll what was it good times <laughs> esther roll left yeah, good she times. Left, so i don't know if about her because she was she mad was that not, jimmy no, she wasn't yeah and she came back for more money and more control essentially oh well i mean to me well it's, uh, Anyway, I'm not even going to get into that, but I'm just saying like what I'm trying to say is some people have um, like friends. They have a lot of leverage because like, you know, during the off season, they're doing movies. I know none of them ever had like a huge movie or maybe they did. I don't know. I, I don't really get down with friends like that. Living single. But um, like, <laughs> th- what I'm trying to say is at the time that they decided to go into renegotiations, um, you know, it wasn't advantageous because then you have two members like well what are we going to do for money what were they i mean really really what were they supposed to do while your other two members are you know they're becoming mothers that i know cindy was married um is magazines uh someone from her team reached out to us and let us know that she was not married but of course she was in a relationship and she always says that the timing was right when she talks about having her daughter she says i felt like the timing was right why did she feel like the timing was right because they were not working they weren't going to be on the road so then at that point what leverage i mean you have leverage but but it's like you're not from a position of power, in my opinion. So I don't think Terry, Don, like I totally get why they would want to do solo records. They have to work. Well, in hindsight, what do you believe would have happened to Invoke long term if Terry had never veered off and did her solo album in 1995? Did that make any difference in the demise of the group, in your opinion? Why or why not? I feel like this is a tricky question because it's already been brought up. Like, we're not just talking about business. We're also talking about personal lives. Like, we're talking about, like, family planning. (laughs) We're talking about all these kinds of things. And so it's like, yes, like, sure, Terry, Terry don't have that much weight 
as we right. think we're giving this. Like Terry's album has a has a significant chunk of weight, but like Cindy and Max were also choosing to like figure out what they wanted to do family wise, etc. Like these were all factors that shaped the future and the trajectory of the group. Not it's unfair to put all of that on Terry. Um, that being said, I think having kids is great. And so I feel like women should be able to have their kids when they want to have their kids too. I so agree. like, it's not like we're one we're, we're, we're saying anything that deviates from the group is bad. I think anything that doesn't best serve the future of the group is, is tricky, but like, I just don't think that we can we can say Terry's solo album took everything off the rails or whatever. Like the demise of the group is not to be put on Terry's solo album. So let's just stop that. I think y'all gave Terry a little bit too much grace for my opinion, but um, oh JP, listen, let me tell y'all something. My mother had me four weeks later. She was at work. Okay, women go to work. <laughs> Having a child does that mean you are you're not able to go to work? Um, I feel like Maxine felt like the time was right because they had no work. So I guess she would have a baby. <laughs> um, I mean, I, because they were not working. So it's like, well, I'm not working. I might as well have a baby. Um, if they were working, I'm sure things would have went different. And I think that had they negotiated together as a unit, had they went to other labels and had been able to come back to Electra and say, we got this. We're all ready to roll. They're going to buy us out of our contract. You know, we're able to, um, uh, you know, that is leverage. Um, I, that's just how you negotiate. So, I mean, I don't, I, you can't put it all on Terry, but I think that if she was truly the one person who was not willing to be on board with going to LaFace, as Don tells it, um, uh, then, I mean, that does fall on her. But, um, I don't think that her album was like the demise of the group. No, I do think that, you know, when, uh, group member goes solo and flops i mean that's definitely not cute (laughs) i think it does kind of lower your stock but you know like what matan said um they got their biggest hit after Mm -hmm. that so at the end of the day no i don't think southern gal i don't think that it was the demise of the group um i just think it was um it was definitely one of the valleys, you know, it was a low moment. Um, but, you know, they had a lot of, you know, a big peak after that. A very big peak. And I think, JP, that you give Dawn too much grace. I think that she... <laughs> Somebody's got to do it on this podcast. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. It can't, it can't just be me and DT, okay? One out of four ain't bad. But um, <laughs> I would say, like... To me, like, I think of when um, David Geffen called Don Felder a malcontent. Now, Don Felder is the member of the Eagles. The Eagles are so interesting to me because they have four. They were doing well. They, I mean, they definitely weren't at their peak. They had, like, gold albums. They might get a number one here or there. You know, they had the best of my love. Take it easy. It was four of them. They brought in a fifth person at the end of the third album. And then they had one of these nights and then they had Hotel California, which if you know, like, you know, that's a huge record. It's sold millions and millions of records. And I don't know if I hear it so much because I'm in California or if just they play it everywhere. But like the Eagles are huge. So he came in as not original Mm -hmm. member, but 
he had contractual issues where he was given a contract um and he was like i'm not signing this like back in the 70s you said we we're going to split everything equally so when they kicked him out he filed for wrongful termination and got a settlement but then the lawsuits kept flying back and forth and i say all that to say she um the way she tells the stories, it just seems like there was nothing that anyone could have done because, okay, she was like, she really didn't want to do a solo album. She said this, this is what she said. But she was like, in her mind, I guess Sylvia was playing some kind of chess and she wanted to keep the girls divided. So she was like, oh, okay, well, I'll give you, um, you know, I think her advance was $2,500. She was about to lose her house that time. $2,000? $250,000. She was, I mean, she recorded songs, but then it's like, well, but she was really trying to play us against each other. And, you know, I didn't really want to go solo. But then when she said that Terry's album didn't do well, mine couldn't be released. Well, I outsmarted her. So then I, uh, you know, I wanted my solo rights released. And then so it just seemed like it just like uh, Don uses that as like her justification for why she didn't tell the girls that she, um, you know, had had to deal with aftermath and that she was doing a solo record and as justification for pretty much everything. I feel like she's the one who kind of just makes that the point of contention trying to cover for herself because she wasn't upfront with the girls and telling them that one, she went, was going into the, uh, the recording studio with Sylvia, just like Terry. Then two, that she had to deal with aftermath that of course it was going to piss Sylvia off. So when they were at that meeting in 97, they knew nothing about it. They're blindsided. So that's DT what, you know, have how I look at it because that's what happened. Like Don, everything, like he gave her two, $250,000 because she's saying, you know, she's having issues paying her bills. Then she turns around. Oh, you're not really serious about this. Even though she admitted prior that she w- didn't really want to do a solo record. It's just like, it's with her, it's always going to be something. So I feel like even if Terry's, if Terry's album did well and she got to do a record and it didn't do as well as Terry's, that would have been an issue. Oh, they favored Terry. Or if Terry's flopped and she still got to do hers and hers did well with the kind of ego she has. Oh my God. Even without her releasing a record, like she had this huge ego, like, oh, I sang lead on this song. It was me. It's my voice. That would have been like, it, it would have been trying to deal, like, who was the, she would have been Diana Ross times 10. Had she got, even, even if she got a one hit song, even a top 40 hit, Don, to me, just think how she operates, she would have been, just been insufferable if she would have stayed in the group. Moving on to. Your last question, DT, because ain't no mountain high enough to keep you from reaching. Question four, do you believe that quite possibly, just maybe, Terry did not... uh, Isn't this the same question he just said? Do you believe that quite possibly, just maybe, Terry did not stick with the girls to negotiate in 1995-ish because she was told by Denny, Tommy, Sylvia Roan, Electra, that she was being groomed to go solo from the start. Is it far-fetched mm. to believe that could have been what was going on behind the scenes, behind the other girl's back? If Terry's album went double platinum, would she have ever even gone back to In Vogue? Were they really setting mm. up a Beyonce, Destiny Shout, or Supreme's Diana Ross situation with Terry as far back as the beginning? Like, this question is ridiculous. Okay, I'll stop. Would love for you to think- have a healthy, balanced discussion on these topics. I'll be tuning in. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Even though this question is ridiculous. And this is all I'm going to say. Now, why is it it's, ridiculous, It's one sentence. This is all I'm going to say. That you could take it, JP. If they were if, <laughs> if they were doing all of that, like you compared to um, Beyonce and Diana Ross, didn't they sing all of the stuff and weren't there some songs that the group members weren't like um 
Well, definitely. Well, Beyonce, according to her in that Vibe article, uh, the other girls were lip syncing to her voice. That's what she said. But with the Supremes, I know there's some Supreme songs that they're not even on. So if that was the case, wouldn't Correct. they have given her more solos and all of the singles would have had her on lead um, DT? Uh, okay, that's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I agree. There's no, there's no way that like now if if southern guy had actually been double platinum that's a good question if what would what would they have done mm-hmm. like what that's a great question but like what would any girl group have done if <laughs> like i just feel like that's like there's a universe where yeah terry got to to live out her solo thing a little bit longer but the idea that like that was what was expected from the start i think is silly because yeah they would have she was doesn't she have like the least number of leads in like that's uh, what the Dom fans like, always say, according to them. Cindy and Terry haven't sang anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that's a, that's kind of far. That is that is far fetched to think that that's how it would have went down. Okay, so I do think now. I don't th- let me ask you this. So I feel like what happens in a lot of girl groups, and I think In Vogue is like a prime example of this. I do feel like they like to keep the girls in disarray like i think they do like to keep the girls at odds do you guys think that possibly they say certain things to one girl like girl you know you're going to be the star and they're telling they're telling the same thing to the other one girl you know you are the star like we need this album and then you're going to be the one and then they tell the third one girl you know what your time is coming. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like do you do you guys think that that is something that happens because i mean i can i mean i don't think that when Tommy and Denny set up the group, I don't think it was like, okay, this is Terry is going to be the Diana Ross. No, I don't think that is uh, the thing. Um, but I feel like these executives and the people in charge, I do feel like they tell girls what they want to hear to kind of get what they want as a result. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Well, since you asked, then I can chime in, I guess, because at first I was just going to be quiet. But to me, like, you can (laughs) always kind of tell. And I think, um, and fifth, fifth, Fifth Harmony is in no way comparable to In Vogue, but there's the Sylvia Roan effect. So I think she's the executive at whatever record company they're on. So to me, that yeah. one mm-hmm. kind of sounds yeah. like the squealing platypus who ended up with a solo record um, and actually has had oh success. The Havana Unana girl. What's her name? Cam- Camilla Cabello. Okay, well, we're naming names. Y'all so shady. I would just say, like, to me, it was like, you knew, Whoever she that she, you knew that she was being groomed. Like, it was very obvious. Um, with In um, with in Vogue, they Tommy and Denny were like, okay, Cindy and Terry had the first record, so we're going to make sure that Donna Maxine gets solos. With, with, Wait a minute now. Th- didn't Maxine say she was told she would never sing lead? Didn't we cover that in the vibe? We covered issue? that, but then in Funky, I mean, that obviously changed because she got had give it up to another. She had my love, and they, Tommy and Denny had, and they, and remember, just they said you might not be able to. And a lot of times when you have a, um, like her being, when they heard her voice and hearing the lows, like who's the guy in Boys to Men who never? saying i don't know how he actually sounds like um uh uh as a as a vocalist without a group but he was supposed to hold those bottoms down you need that person on the bottom so i i can kind of get that and then t- another thing is that a lot of groups um you know back then like not everybody sang lead there's nothing extraordinary about that that's the way it really was like you had a lead singer for the most part even at the pointer sisters they all 
you know, he had leads, but Anita got the, you know, the chunk, if you want to count, like the hits and all this stuff, like she was doing most of it. So there, to me, like you're kind of saying, I think they might tell girls different things, but it seems like they're very upfront with the magazine and not, not even uh, the example that you gave, but when she was very upset with the group and like the, um, like, I guess maybe the middle of the 2010s and she was just spilling all the tea, she said, and of course, I don't know if this is true because she was upset, but I tend to believe her. She t- said that Denny was like, look, I got one of the members in my pocket. Cindy don't have a clue and Don is loony so what y'all really gonna do <laughs> so like I said I don't know if she's saying that because she was um, you know upset with the group or if that really happened but you know she she knew things um, so I don't think there was like you're not saying that to somebody you're trying to butter up like you're basically like look you, 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 you there ain't no mountain high enough like I told DT basically um, but I to me there was no grooming for so like you can kind of see it in a lot of groups and you guys can chime in like ginger spice like maybe ginger and scary like but if anybody ginger like you can just kind of see not ginger yes for the Spice Girls to be solo the one that could sing the least and she was the one who had the first yeah she was the first one with the with the first record deal um, at all of them, yeah. Well, because she quit the group. Right, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say group, I always, but she I got always a lot felt of like Mel C was the one that was, to me, I thought Mel C was the one who was kind of the, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I thought Mel C, see, she seemed like the one that was kind of being pushed to be more of the star. Like, she was more of that the That was voice. the one who like, she was, was like in the one. soccer clothes? Yeah, the well, one who no, could like, really so, sing. So, y'all are right hard for the Spice Girls. Melcy was the, the she was the voice, but she was not the bankable one. Well, that's like, true, because she was giving very was, um, lesbianic teas at the time. She was definitely not, like, if any of them, I feel like it was, like, <laughs> Emma, the Baby Spice, or, I mean, Jerry. Jerry was the most popular member of Spice Girls. That's why it was, that why that's why it resonated so much when she left, because she was the personality of the group she was the one who was the the like sort of raucous crazy interview like she was the good time and so when she left it was like well who were the spice girls without the with the most personality um so i think that there's something to be said about what happens when when each girl's giving something uh that's kind of individualized like that Mm -hmm. but in vogue has always been a unit like they work well it's like a well-oiled machine that you need all of the parts to work it the right way and so i just never thought i I don't know i feel like who knows i I do believe there's a universe where people were like whispering in this girl's ear and telling her this thing because that's how i think that's how business works unfortunately but um it tells me more about the relationships that they had with each other that they didn't that they weren't working with each other first and they were letting the other forces that be potentially like cause all this friction and issue because like if your shit's together with your girls and y'all like we gonna make this thing work then like no matter who's whispering in your ear you're making sure everybody is under like knows what's going on but like there were other interests at play i think some like i would imagine people were feel like I would hope people would own up to being selfish because I think people were being selfish at the time. How do I benefit individually, not it's just human nature? A group. And that's so, why there's never going to be male or female any group with a 
equal power balance and uh you know and really it's very rare that you know everyone stays together consistently that's it's almost impossible yeah I hope we offered a, a what was it a healthy balance discussion. <laughs> <laughs> DT, the professor DT. Uh, DT. I think if we were ever going to have like a guest uh, a guest host, we should we should have DT on to to shake up to shake things up. We shake already the table. have a public defender for Don though. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to DT's letter, we do have um, an additional submitted letter that we should run through from Alicia. Alicia says, hi, everybody. I'm so happy that you have returned and as always a very fun and entertaining podcast. I even find myself learning stuff I didn't know. For example, Cindy's divorce, which uh, Alicia says is really sad. The Liking the new segment at the end with the unreleased rare songs. That's a cool and fun idea. I really like It's About Love. Yes. Good job, Alicia. Mm. Looking forward <laughs> to hearing your thoughts on the others. I think most of them are pretty good. Some much better than others um, that end up on the albums, in my opinion. Keep up the great work and a welcome back. Thank, Thank you, Alicia. Alicia. Well, speaking of that segment that you love, uh, we do have another rare track. It's called Funky Mellow Christmas. <laughs> Released back on December the 8th, 2000. Um, and it was included on the Japanese compilation album, Music of Love for Tomorrow's Children. What do you guys think about it? I didn't like it. I like Christmas music that sounds Christmassy. Oh, Matan. I do. Like, I don't really like when they try to <laughs> modernize stuff. Like, if like it's silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time <laughs> in the city, and um, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Like, I just like track like those. Like this one. Um, the, well, the production was bad. Let me just start there. Like the ladies, it, it was Cindy had a lead, Terry had a lead, Maxine had a lead. Um, you know, they're always fine vocally. It's just like the production quality. Then it's just like. I don't know, like, I, like if you're gonna do a Christmas, which I always wanted for them, like if they're gonna do Christmas music, I thought a great thing to do before Pentatonix was to do like a, a it all acapella, like something like um, what child is this or uh, just something like along those lines. But like trying to make it like New Jack in 2000 when New Jack was already out, and then it's a Christmas song. Like it's just it's all of these elements that are just um, they just don't come together quite in the way I would like. I'm a fan. I don't know. I for I, I love Christmas music generally. So like even the even the crappiest Christmas music is gonna give me a little bit of joy.
I kind of like it. It feels like they, like, I like an attempt at something that, like, to be, you know, a little bit contrary. And, like, I kind of like original Christmas music because I just sort of max out on all of the, like, the standards and covers over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. So if you're going to do something, like, with a weird or funky or different kind of arrangement, I'd rather it be an original song than like, I don't need the disco version of Silent Night. <laughs> I don't need the big band version of Oh Holy Night. Like, just give me if you're gonna explore, explore on a new track or on a on an original track. And so I kind of like it. I just think they all sound great, which is like, I mean, per usual. But I really like that Max kind of shows out at the end in a way that I don't think we're maybe used to hearing at that point, maybe like, you know, she's she's singing, but she's also like giving like the best ad libs at the end, too. So I just kind of I don't know. I'm not a fan. And then the compilation of the album that it's on. Like, it was kind of, they were in good company. They had, like, you know, Shanice on there. They had Take Six on there. They had Yolanda Adams and Sting on there. Like, it was kind of a cool, it was giving a cool thing. So, I mean, it was only in Japan, but would have been nice <laughs> if it, we if we had a, um, a shot at it in the U.S. to enjoy it. I thought the song was quite cute until that no-name rapper made an appearance and... I don't know who they are, but I'm sure they've never rapped again. Um, um, yeah, I thought it, I thought they sounded cute. To me, this was obviously a, a song they recorded back in the day, though. I mean, I feel like they recorded this when they recorded Silent Night, right? But was Don wasn't on it? Was I don't she? Think I didn't so. hear Don. Don wasn't on it. I thought I heard Don. No. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think this was like, this oh. was given, it, I think it was given 99, 2000. I, I could have sworn I heard Dawn. Maybe, oh, well. I, well, you always hear in Dawn. <laughs> tell it. Tell the truth. <laughs> She's in my DNA. Oh, no. Uh, okay, because I thought I said featured all four ladies, but okay, I stand corrected. Maybe I need to listen again. Either way, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cute. Well, folks, we have come to the end of another marvelous episode. Um, stream part of us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, and most of your podcasting platforms. For more Invogue related content, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Invogue Craze or on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. If you have ideas, interview requests, comments, secret audio footage from backroom <laughs> deals and business dealings uh, contract negotiations us, <laughs> contract negotiations email them to us at part of us evf at gmail.com and we will see you next time can i bye <laughs>
All right, welcome back to Part of Us. Uh, before we begin, in, let me start that again. It's been a second. Welcome back to Part of Us. Before we dig into the, into today's, oh my God, what is wrong with my, hold on, let me take a sip. Well, let's talk about some trending news. In Vogue has, has excited the fashion world once again, but this time from 25-year-old outtakes. Only the one, ugh. You're on episode six. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> <laughs> 